This is episode number 163 with Janine Roth. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? Janine Roth's pioneering books were among the first to link compulsive eating and perpetual dieting with deeply personal and spiritual issues that go far beyond food, weight, and body image. Rather than pushing away the crazy things we do, Janine's work proceeds with the conviction that our actions and beliefs make exquisite sense and that the way to transform our relationship with food, our body, and so much more in our life is to be open, curious, and kind with ourselves instead of punishing, impatient, and harsh. Janine is the author of 10 books, including her newest book, This Messy, Magnificent Life, and the New York Times bestseller, Women, Food, and God. This book was one of the most life-altering books for me. She has also appeared on many national television shows, including Super Soul Sunday, The Oprah Show, 2020, The NBC Nightly News, The View, The Today Show, and Good Morning America. And articles about Janine and her work have appeared in numerous publications, including The Oprah Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Time, Elle, and The New York Times. And in today's amazing episode, we chat about her story and how she got to where she is today doing the amazing work that she now does, how to change the way we look at our bodies, how to heal our relationship with our body and food, how to self-soothe. And this technique is one of the most powerful techniques that I have been doing for years and it has really helped me. Her powerful process to master your negative thoughts about your body and food. Her basic guidelines for eating. How to follow and live the basic guidelines for eating. How to quit dieting once and for all. How to look for what she calls the daily lovelies in your life. Plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 163. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this comes from the beautiful Brianne Boll. And this is a five-star review titled, Such a Gift. And she says, this podcast is everything. Energizing, uplifting, infinitely embodying. Melissa herself is so sparky and warm. She coaxes the most insightful gems of wisdom out of her guests and seems tireless in her quest to share them with her community. The end result is an experience that leaves you feeling enlightened and ready to live your best life. Thank you so much, Brianne. I adore you. And thank you for that beautiful five-star review. I'm so grateful. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me your review now. I would be so grateful. I absolutely love reading them. And without further ado, 
Let's bring on the super inspiring, the one and only Janine Roth. Janine, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) A lot of people ask me what I eat, a lot. And people look at what I eat if I go to a party. People are looking at my plate. Do you ask everybody that, Melissa, or are you just asking me? Yes. You do. I ask everybody the same question. (laughs) I had a green matcha divine chai latte, and I had some breakfast crust with it with some ghee and almond butter and honey. Mm, 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 mm. That sounds so delicious. It was. Yum. Oh, Yes. I am so excited for our conversation. Now, before we dive in, can you tell us about your story and how you got to where you are today doing the wonderful work that you do in the world now? How did this all happen for you? Yeah, I was a very unhappy and I would say chubby child. I don't know if you use the word chubby over there, but chubby meaning really hunky legs and arms. And I was convinced that my unhappiness as a child was because of the size of my body. And so as I grew up, I wanted to be thinner and I started dieting at age 11. And then I went on a lot of radical diets, the one hot fudge Sunday a day diet, the thousand calorie a day sugar diet, the all protein diet. I went on the Atkins diet, which was sort of a a version of the paleo diet, not quite. And then regular diets, Weight Watchers and Stillman's and all kinds of diets. And there was this constant suffering, constant belief that if only I could lose weight and stay thin, then my life would be better. In the meantime, I did feel like it was the source of everything that was wrong. Finally, after gaining and losing over a thousand pounds, probably more like 1500 pounds and being anorexic at one point, weighing 82 pounds and then doubling my weight within a couple of months, I realized that at least for me, I was 28 then, life wasn't really worth living if I was going to keep this diet binge cycle up, losing and gaining 10 pounds every week or so. And I made a plan to kill myself. I was suicidal and made a plan to kill myself and started researching. This is before Google and the internet, guns and drugs and other kinds of ways to really, really get rid of myself. And I was in a bookstore doing it and happened to see a book called Fat is a Feminist Issue. It was the first book I'd ever seen that that actually convinced me that all this stuff with food and weight was a way of expressing something I didn't know how to express any other way. That if my weight could talk to me, it would have a lot to say, that I wasn't attending to my feelings, to my beliefs, to myself. I wasn't taking care of myself at all. I just really wanted to get rid of myself. And even before I was suicidal, I wanted to get rid, hack off pieces of my thighs and my arms and my face. There was a kind of self-hatred that was going on. I didn't know how to be kind to myself. So I stopped dieting. After I read that book, I stopped dieting. And in the next couple of years, I started eating what my body wanted. I started being kind to myself. It was very difficult to be kind to myself because I nobody ever taught me how. And after a while, I started eating what sort of a normal diet instead of only sugar and losing weight. And it was from there that I decided to talk to other women about what they were doing. And I started a very small group in a friend's house 
one night and realized that a lot of women felt the same way. And that was a while ago. Mm. Now, in the past, I personally have struggled with an eating disorder and eating issues. And someone suggested your book to me, Women, Food and God, which was very powerful for me on my healing journey. But millions of women all over the world are locked into an unwinnable weight game and their self-worth is shredded with every diet failure. You know, they, they feel like they're failing constantly. And I know so many people listening to this can relate. And I remember as a child as well, literally looking down at my thighs and pretending to cut off sections. Yes. And when you said that, I actually forgot, like I had blocked that out of my life. And I'm, I'm feeling really emotional even just saying that right now. And I'm getting all hot and feeling very sad about thinking that about myself. Like it's just crazy because we are such a gift and such a miracle. So why is this happening? Why are we so obsessed with what we look like? Why is that happening? Well, you know, Melissa, I've never found a satisfying answer to that question. So I don't I don't ask myself that anymore. Why is it happening? It's evolved over decades and it's how it is right now. You know, my question that I say to myself and to all the people I work with is, how do we change this? What do we do about it? How can we start treating ourselves differently? injecting kindness and compassion and a different kind of thinking into the whole framework of food and women and bodies. For me, that's where the traction starts hitting, which is, okay, now what? What do we do? Because with each person that refuses to buy into it, with each woman that is able to see, oh, I've been treating myself with such hatred, either because I have internalized it because that's how I was treated or internalized it from my family and environment or internalized it because the culture objectifies women. And that's becoming even more and more apparent now with all of the different movements that women are starting and how we're standing in our own spaces. I mean, we're sort of like owning these bodies in a way that we haven't done before. But what is important is that we see the state of it, which is what you just said, which is that we look down at our bodies and we want to slice off parts of them. We believe somehow we've drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, that if we could only lose weight, then we would be happier. We'd be thin and therefore happy, or we'd fit in and therefore happy. Now, there are people who don't have issues with weight have their own versions of that. If only I had X amount of dollars, then I would be fine. If only I lived in a particular place, if only I had those clothes, if only I had a relationship, if only I had a perfect job. I mean, there's there's fill in the blank. It's a trick of the mind to to really make you think that your happiness is in the future and that it's something you have to buy, do, get, or achieve. And that's a lie. That's not how it works, is it? Happiness comes from within. Yes. It's more about, well, the first thing it's about for those of us who do not know our own value, our own worth, is showing ourselves some kindness or compassion. That's another big word for the word kindness. Just kindness. Be able to see how we are so rough with ourselves, mean to ourselves, unkind 
to ourselves, how we don't rest, how we don't take time alone, how we are so busy taking care of other people that we don't ever think to take care of ourselves. So one of the first steps there is kindness. Another is actually coming into our bodies. Believe it or not, most of us don't actually live in these bodies. We objectify them. We look at them as as if our eyes are on the outside, as if we're a video camera looking back on our bodies, seeing the size of our thighs. And so I really teach my students how to land in their bodies in the simplest way, feeling your feet on the floor, taking one long breath from beginning to end, looking around and seeing the room you're actually sitting in and realizing you didn't arrive in that room by magic. Most of us live like ghosts. We don't look around. We don't see what we see or hear what we hear. We are so busy in our minds thinking about the future or the past that we don't even allow ourselves to have this moment now. So true. And it's when we're in our mind worrying about the future or agonizing and stressing over something that happened in the past that we miss the magic of the present moment. Like you said, we're not in our body. So besides kindness and compassion and coming back to the present moment, how do we heal this relationship with our body and food? Well, if all you ever did was be kind to yourself and be in your body, it would be healed. That's the first thing to know. And I will talk to you about more, but those are really two keys. And people skip over them as if, yeah, yeah, I heard that, been there, done that. But really, that's not true. Most of us, and I can't say this enough, are not kind to ourselves. We have a practice in my retreats called the old sweetheart practice, which is that when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when you feel rejected or abandoned or unwanted, that you learn how to be with yourself, that you learn how to soothe yourself. And that changes everything. That changes everything because most of us turn to food because we don't know how to be with ourselves and food becomes the comforting presence. And so learning how to turn towards yourself, feel the feelings that you feel, ouch, that hurt. I felt hurt or I felt scared or I felt abandoned and just name the feeling, be with it for a moment. And then as if you were being with a child, really taking yourself up inside your own heart and saying, oh, sweetheart, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry you're hurt. What can I do for you? I'm here. Now, this might sound corny. And, you know, for a long time, I was quite cynical about this. Oh, more inner children. How many more practices for inner children do we have to have? But, and The truth is most of us don't do this and the reaching for food comes out of the fact that we don't. Mm, I absolutely agree with you. And it's interesting that you say that because I have been doing a lot of inner child healing and reparenting, reparenting work. Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of it. And a couple of years ago, I learned how to self-soothe. Yes. Actually, actually, this was about maybe five years ago. A friend of mine told me that I needed to learn how to self-soothe. And I was like, what is self-soothing? What the hell is that? And I didn't know. And she said to me, okay, so whenever you're feeling anxious or sad or unsafe or any of those emotions, she said, I want you to place your hands over your heart and almost caress and stroke your heart and say to yourself, it's okay, you are safe. It's okay, you are safe. And whenever I have anxiety or feel that sense of panic or sadness or not feeling safe, I do that. And it has changed my life. It has been so powerful because in the past, I would run to my partner or to the fridge 
or to shopping or to drinking, whatever it was to soothe that part of me that felt like a void within me. And now I can fill myself by self-soothing. So how do you self-soothe? Do you have a similar practice to that? Yes. So what you're saying, Melissa, is that what you do, let's recap for a second, because I think it's so important. And I don't think anybody can hear this enough. When you have a challenging feeling, you put your hands on your heart. Is Did I get that right? Yeah, both of my hands on my heart. And it's almost like I pat my heart, like I would kind of like caress a cat, you know, that sort of motion. Yes. And what do you say to yourself? I say to myself, it's okay. You are safe. Yes. Yeah, and I just keep repeating that. It's okay. You are safe. It's okay. And I just keep doing it until I feel my nervous system come out of fight or flight and come back into rest and digest. So I kind of do that with my eyes closed for a couple of minutes. I don't even know how long I do it for. I just do it until I feel like my body's not in fight or flight anymore. Yes, that's really, really good because I think what the neuroscientists say is that you really have to stay with something for at least a couple of breaths to really lay down new neural pathways or a different track or a different way of doing something. To really get the message, it takes a couple of breaths at least to get that. And it sounds like when you do that, you do that enough with give yourself enough time to really go into rest and digest. Exactly. And then those feelings of wanting to numb with food or social media or alcohol subside or even spending, you know, wanting to go shopping or spend money online, that feeling subsides because I have filled myself up from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. And that's really, truly the crux of self-love and self-care and nurturing oneself without food. And, and it's so tender. It's a tender practice. I do something like that too. One of the first things that I do is notice what I call the crazy ant in the attic which is the voice of shame and blame and woulda, coulda, shoulda, and you should have done this. Because usually that's part of the mix for me is that that inner critic or inner judge or inner parent or whatever you want to call that, you know, everybody has different names for that, is there telling me I should have done it a different way how I did it was wrong. And one of the things that I do with myself and the what I teach is how to disengage from that voice, how to recognize that voice and how to disengage from that voice, which and sometimes it's just as simple as saying, go away, stop. Mm. You are not my friend. Many of us are so merged with that voice We don't even realize that voice is not us. It's like having a mean, mean adult assessing us from the sidelines all the time. Mean adult. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote my first book called Mastering Your Mean Girl, and that's the inner critic inside our head, that mean voice that says, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not skinny enough. And that's why I wrote that book. And I have my three-step mastering your mean girl process. And the first step is awareness. Like you said, so many people aren't even aware of what's going on upstairs. They think it's true. Right. They don't know that it's that's it's different. It's not true. So becoming aware of what she is saying to you is really important. The second step is we gently close the door on her. Like you said, you say, go away. And I say, we gently close the door on her. We say, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm not interested today. I'm not interested in your 
your stories or your limiting fear-based beliefs. And then the third step is we choose love instead. So we come back into our heart. Like you said before, we get present and we choose love instead. And that is a process. That three-step mastering your mean girl process is a very simple three-step process. But for a lot of us, it can feel incredibly challenging. Yes. So what advice would you have for someone who has a very, very loud inner mean girl when it comes to their body and their relationship with their body and food? Well, what we're talking about, these two things are interrelated because to the extent that we are identified or merged, we'll call it the inner mean girl, that's good, then we're not kind to ourselves. We don't feel like we deserve the, oh, sweetheart. We don't feel like we deserve to put both hands over our hearts and say, it's okay, you are safe here. When you're merged with the critic or the mean girl or the crazy aunt in the attic, that means you are believing what she or he is saying. And so the thought of being kind to yourself doesn't even occur to you. So your three-step process is lovely. I talk about something similar in my latest book, This Messy Magnificent Life, about just simply disengaging and then turning towards, because until you disengage from this mean part, there's no chance of you turning towards yourself with kindness Mm, absolutely, because you just don't think you deserve it. Mm. So when you are able to disengage at that point, you choose love instead. And another way of saying that is that you, you are able to be rather than the mean girl and the mean adult, you're able to be the kind one. You know, if you saw a child sitting on the side of a road crying, you wouldn't kick the child. You would say, is there something I can do? What's the matter? Come here, honey. Tell me all about it. When you are identified with the crazy aunt or the critic or the mean girl, what you do is kick yourself. You kick yourself. You kick the child. And so the disengaging step one turning towards yourself with the kind of kindness that you were talking about, step two. And then finding out what you really, really want, what you really need. After your system, your nervous system calms down into a parasympathetic mode or rest and digest, then you can ask yourself, what do you need? Do you need a nap? Do you need to walk outside for a minute? Are you actually hungry? If you're hungry, What do you need? You can choose if you're hungry at that point. What you choose to eat is very different than choosing from a fight or flight response or from an emerging with the critic. Very different because at that point, you're loving, you're kind, you want to take care of yourself. You know, I have a set of eating guidelines that I teach people. And they mostly have to do with intuitive eating. So eat when your body's hungry, eat sitting down in a calm environment. This doesn't include the car. Eat without distractions like TV, Facebook, Twitter, emailing. Eat what your body wants, your body, not your mind. Eat until your body has had enough. Now, a lot of those Two-year-olds follow, three-year-olds follow, four-year-olds follow. Kids know how to do it intuitively. They eat when they're hungry. They stop when they've had enough until they have been inundated with sugar. They usually go for healthy things or relatively healthy things. I call those eating guidelines often. There are a couple more, but for the sake of this, for our talk, you and I, And we're talking about kindness and disengaging from the mean girl. 
I often call those guidelines. If love could talk to you about food, if kindness could talk to you about food, this is what it would say. It would say, sweetheart, eat when you're hungry, because when you don't eat when you're hungry, food doesn't taste so good. And it would say, honey, food will taste so much better if you're not distracted while you're eating it. Because if you're distracted, you won't be paying attention to it. And kindness would say, and and eat what your body wants, not what your mind wants, because your body knows what it needs. And if you listen to your body, then you feel nourished. If you listen to your mind, you might feel full, but never satisfied. And stop when you've had enough, because if you don't stop when your body has had enough, you're uncomfortable and kindness and or love wouldn't want you to be uncomfortable. I love those. Thank you so much for sharing those basic guidelines. They're so beautiful. I was reflecting back on, you know, my journey with food and dieting and and my body. And I used to do the complete opposite of all of those guidelines that you just said. I used to eat with social media. I used to eat when I wasn't hungry. I'd eat not what my body wanted, what I thought I should eat. And I would not stop when I was full. So I was kind of doing the complete opposite. And over the years, I have completely shifted. And those basic guidelines is how I live my life now. And it's so nice to be at that place, but Uh. I, but I wasn't always there. So for someone who is listening and they think, oh my gosh, it feels like such a stretch to get to that place of, listening to my body and not eating when I'm not hungry and eating when I'm hungry and listening to what my body wants to eat and not eating in front of the TV and eating until I'm full, not till I'm bursting. You know, for someone listening who's thinking that feels like such a stretch to get there, what is your advice for them? I would say that you start slowly, teeny little baby steps. Pick one of those guidelines, like eat when you're hungry or eat sitting down or eat without distractions and do it once a day. Just one, one of those guidelines once a day and see what happens. You can't, you can't, it's sort of like on January 1st, people say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym every single day and, and then they don't and then they fall off and then they don't even start. So just starting, we call it taking an aim in my work. We take an aim. I aim to eat when I'm hungry once for the next five days. And the next part is to have somebody to check in with or, you know, what they in the 12-step programs call accountability. It's good to have support. It's really, really good to have support. So if you tell yourself that once a day I'm going to eat when I'm hungry and you have a friend that you can check in with at the end of the day or email with or text with, how'd you do today? Well, it makes things lighter and easier and you feel supported and support is really important. Oh, in all areas of our life, isn't it? Not just yes. not just food, you know, right. every area to not only support yourself, but to have support. And I know a lot of women especially feel like, oh no, I don't want to bug that person or I don't want to ask them to help me. Or we have got to let go of that because we all need each other. You know, we can do this together and we don't have to be isolated. The amount of women that say to me how much they crave tribe and when they join my programs or my path to freedom team or my mentoring program and they say oh my gosh i have been searching for this type of tribe and i'm so glad i found it women are, are wanting to support each other and to be supported 
So we need to let go of that limiting thought inside our mind that, oh, we're going to bug so-and-so. You're not going to bug them. We are here to be of service to each other and to help each other and to support each other, aren't we? Yes. That again, it's about what step could you take today? What do you have a friend that you can check in with today? Because if it's an agreement, a previously decided upon agreement, then you don't have to go through every day. Is it okay to call this person? Am I going to be bothering this person? What if they're in the middle of something like that? So having a buddy or a partner that you can check in with and be accountable to is very helpful. And, you know, in in our retreats, we divide up into groups of five after the retreat is over and meet once a month. And then each group of five is texting each other and emailing each other constantly in between the meetings. So, and it's all about here's what's going on and sharing the good news, but also sharing when it's challenging. Yep. That's what it's all about. And it's not all about going, oh, it's all rainbows and butterflies over here. It's about being real and authentic and vulnerable and honest because that's how we connect and that's how we create bonds and intimacy and deep relationships, isn't it? Yes, it is. And these, all these people who have met at our retreat are very close friends with each other. So not necessarily living in the same town, but they feel like they know each other. They feel seen by and known by. Mm. beautiful yeah that is that is absolutely beautiful I love that it's because they're being real so how do we quit dieting once and for all how do we quit it for good well I'm not sure that there's any for good forever never or those words I don't usually use words like that because I think that that you know sets people up it's sort of just makes people a little bit nervous. I think following the eating guidelines, which aren't a diet at all, understanding, you know, as your first step in your three-step process, that you you have some kind of awareness about what dieting is doing to you, what shaming and blaming and or the lack of trust is doing. So I think it's a back and forth process and people grow in in bits and spurts and you grow by having a direct experience of something and seeing oh I, it feels much better like this oh okay and then maybe something will trigger you and you'll get reactive about something and you'll turn to dieting again and then you'll realize oh that doesn't feel good so you know we learn the process itself is the goal it's not that there's an end result that we want to get to, because when we get to one end result, we just raise the bar and have another end result. It's not like that. It's what we learn by going through this is the goal. We learn how to be with ourselves, how to be kind to ourselves, how to be aware of what we do, how to occupy our bodies, how to look around. You know, something that we haven't talked about yet is I often will ask people at the end of every day to spend five minutes or 10 minutes either writing down or speaking to their partner or a friend on the phone, five things that I call them five lovelies from the day. What isn't wrong? What wasn't wrong today? And you start remembering all the things that are right. And there's so much more that's right than what's wrong in your world right now. Even if you're really sick, there's still so much that's right. You have a body. There's a floor here that your foot is on. You're breathing. There's the sun that's still coming up. There's a teacup, your favorite teacup that you love. 
the fact that you saw a sunset today or a sunrise or had a friend tell you she or he really cares about you. There's, we don't, in the same way that we don't let ourselves be kind to ourselves, what I was saying to you, Melissa, before about your hands on your chest and, you know, it's okay, you're safe over and over until your nervous system relaxes. Well, in that same way, we don't allow ourselves to take in the goodness in our lives and therefore allow our nervous systems to relax in a different way. We don't allow ourselves to absorb all that's good because evolutionarily we've evolved to see what's wrong. And our ancestors way back did that because they had to. If they relaxed, they could have gotten eaten, but not us now. And yet our brains haven't really changed insofar as we're not very good. They're not very good at taking in what's good and what isn't wrong. And that is also a game changer. I couldn't agree more with you on that one. You know, I love that you call them lovelies. I practice gratitude, which is very similar thing. And I agree, there's always things to be grateful for. And just the little things like the pillow, the comfortable pillow that you just slept on or whatever it is. So I am such a big believer in cultivating a regular gratitude practice. And so every single morning, the first thing that my husband and I say to each other is good morning. And then we ask each other, what are you grateful for? And he tells me three things and I tell him three things and we do it before Mm -hmm. we go to bed as well. And then we do it over the dinner table with my 12-year-old bonus son. And we each say three things that we're grateful for. And it really does shift your perception. And like you said, we have been wired in today's society to focus on what is not going right or what is not good in our life. But there is so much that is, and it is about consciously shifting your perception from what's not working to what is working. And there is so much working. There is equal amounts of support and challenge in every moment. And even if you're listening to this right now and you're going through a very, very challenging time, look for the lovelies, look for the gratitude. Like Janine said, it is always there. And we just have to look up, open our eyes, and look for it because it's always, always there. Right. Yes. Even Stephen Hawking, for many years, he was the physicist who had Lou Gehrig's disease and had to be fed and couldn't walk and didn't have muscular control. He focused so much on what wasn't wrong. And so another way of doing it, besides asking yourself what you're grateful for, which is wonderful, is also asking yourself what's not wrong right now. I write about this in the in the chapter in This Messy Magnificent Life. I talk about how when I was studying with Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist teacher at his meditation center in the south of France, I thought it was going to be warm every day and I packed for warm weather and instead it was cold and damp and clammy. And I was just sort of miserable. I felt like I was sort of in a hellhole and not in a meditation center. And one morning he came in and he said, how many of you do not have a toothache right now? (laughs) Do not have a toothache. And Of course, most of the room, if not 99.9% of the people, raised their hands, didn't have a toothache. And he said, and how many of you are appreciating that you don't have a toothache? And of course, nobody raised their hand. Mm -hmm. And what he said was, when something is wrong, that's all we can do is focus on what it is. And yet, when it's not wrong, we just skip on to the next thing. That is wrong. Mm. And so we did the not a toothache meditation with him and shared with each other. We divided into partners and shared basically what I'm saying to you now, what's not wrong right now? 
And I do that all the time with my husband. I do that with my students. I do that with my friends. I do it all the time. Mm, I love it. And it changes everything. Mm. It does change the vibe, the energy. I couldn't be gloomy and, you know, feeling melancholy or depressed. And then when I do that, I change tracks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's the whole, are you a glass half empty or half full type of person? Right. Yes. Mm. Yes. I love that. It's so important. So everyone listening, I'd love for you guys to try it today. Shift your perception and start to look for all the things that are right, all the things that are great in your life, all the lovelies, all the things to be grateful for and get into a regular practice, you know, even saying it out loud whilst you're driving or whilst you're standing at the kitchen sink doing the dishes. You know, there's so many opportunities throughout the day where we can cultivate and practice this. Yes. So Janine, I would love to shift gears a little bit now and turn the spotlight a little bit onto you. What do you attribute your success to with all of these books? Like, what is it? What is, what do you think it is? The message, what do you attribute the success to? I think so many people feel as if they're suffering about the size of their bodies. And also, I would say the lack of kindness, the fear, the Oh, just the the tension in our nervous systems is profound. And I feel that this message, which is, it's possible for you to come home to yourself. It's possible to stop shaming and depriving yourself. It's possible to stop loathing yourself, punishing yourself. And here's how. And so I do give a lot of step-by-steps in my books and touchstones as I did in my last book, each chapter is about basically a touchstone that I feel that people could integrate into their lives. And I think people need to hear it. Mm -hmm. Mm, Absolutely. What's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? Oh, the ordinary moments, day to day, noticing what isn't wrong, bringing myself back to the present moment many, many, many times a day, because in this moment, I don't have a problem. Nothing is wrong. And there feels like there's lightness and spaciousness and clarity and joy and gratitude. Yes. Beautiful. What is one thing that you're working on or would like to work on within yourself at the moment? I believe, you know, we're always growing and evolving. So is there anything that you're consciously mindful of right now? I'm mindful of being extraordinarily kind to myself and how challenging that still is. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure many people can relate and myself included, you know, there's times where I'm so kind. And then there's times where I am so mean and it's, yeah, it feels like, oh my gosh, like you would not speak to your inner child like that. You would not speak to, like you said, the child on the side of the street crying, yet we do it to ourselves. So um, thank you for sharing that. It's, yes. it's really important that we look at that. Yes. Good. Good. Okay, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Besides all of your amazing books, what is the one book that you would choose? Oh, I would choose a book about presence and a book, maybe a book by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. The Power of Now. That's what I would choose. Yeah. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well as all of your amazing books so people can get those. Yes. Good. Now let's talk about how your day runs. I love hearing about people's morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day and set themselves up for success. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you share it with us? I do have a morning routine. I meditate for an hour a day as soon as I wake up. Well, actually, I wake up and I move a little bit. I walk a little bit. I stretch a little bit. 
And then I meditate for an hour. And before I talk to anybody, including my husband, and then I feel like that's a good start to the day. I believe in what my friend Pilar calls morning minutes, that how you start your day is an orienter, a guidance to how the rest of the day goes, sort of like you set your day by the what you do first thing in the morning. And then I'll, I'll move more. I'll just walk more, stretch more, move more. My husband and I will connect with each other. We'll have some contact. We'll talk. I play with my dog, go outside. I try to spend a lot of time outside, have breakfast. You know, that's sort of how it goes. Start work like that. Beautiful. What are three things you're most recently grateful for? That I'm breathing. I'm always grateful that I'm alive, that it's another day on earth and I get to be here, that I am with somebody that I love. And oh boy, there there are probably 12 other things. I'm pretty much grateful for the floor, the cup, the chair, everything for ordinary. I would say grateful for the ordinary things. Mm, beautiful. Often we forget those. Yes. Yeah. It's nice to acknowledge them. So they're like, hey, the cup's like, hey, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging me. You drink out of me every day. So thank you for acknowledging me. It's it's quite nice because everything is energy. Yes. Right. So I have three little rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. So in your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? To ask yourself what isn't wrong. Yeah. Love that. What's one of the most important things that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Focus on what you do have, not what you don't have. Let yourself have enough of what you already have enough of, because most people don't. Mm. Yep, that's so true. And what's one of the most important things that we can do to cultivate more love in our life? Be kind to ourselves. Once you start being kind to and loving yourself, it spreads out to everyone and everything. Yes, yes, it surely does. So. This has been so helpful and so inspiring, and I really hope everyone listening got so much out of this and just starts to really think about their relationship with their body and with food and maybe starts to implement some of the basic eating guidelines that you shared with us before and just starts to really think about that because it's so important. But is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any last words of wisdom or anything else that you wanted to talk about today? No, I think we covered it. I think I just want people to know that because this has been so important to me that I already had what I needed to have what I wanted, that enough isn't a quantity. It's a relationship to what I already had. And I think that that feeling of being enough, having enough is so important. And that comes from deep within. Yes, right. And how do we cultivate that though? By doing everything we've talked about. Yes. What's not wrong, being kind to yourself. We've staying in your body. We've talked about all of those things. Those are the things, the practices. I think it's very, very important for people to know that insight turns into life changes by practicing what you've had insight about. It aha moments are not life changers. They're life changers for that moment in the experience. It takes actual practice to make those into how you live your life. And so I think that's an important thing for people to know. And we've talked about many practices. We've talked about the eating guidelines. Ask yourself what's not wrong. Disengaging from the 
crazy ant in the attic, staying in your body. I mean, you know, just if you did all of those or even one of those, they'd be life changers. Yes. And I always say that nothing changes if nothing changes. And reading a book or listening to a podcast and having these ahas isn't enough. It's about implementing and taking inspired action and implementing it into your everyday life. That's when it becomes the aha. Like you said, that's why I'm so I'm so adamant about I always ask people on once I've listened to my podcast to share their biggest takeaways with me and because I want them to write them down and then I want them to implement them because it's so easy to listen to a podcast and read a book and go oh that was so inspiring and that was life changing but it's not life changing unless you put it into action so right so if something has resonated with you today from this podcast I want to encourage everybody to write it down and then you know, stick it on a post-it note and put it on your bathroom mirror and help yourself by reminding yourself every day to implement it into your life and do what Janine said, you know, get yourself an accountability buddy and put it somewhere where you can see it first thing in the morning so that you can go, oh yeah, that's what I'm consciously working on in my life right now. And, and it'll become once you do that every day, that habit becomes ingrained and then you no longer have to think about it. You know, it's like brushing your teeth and you just do it every single day. So that is how I have cultivated change within myself is by supporting myself to remember that that's what I'm working on, whether it's reminders in my phone or post-it notes, and then having an accountability buddy and practicing it. Now I don't even think about meditating. It's like brushing my teeth. I just do it every single day. Yeah. Good. And I have one more question for you before we go. I am a massive believer in service and being of service to others. So how can I and the listeners serve you today? What can we do to serve you? What can you do to serve me? You can take good care of yourself. That's what you can do. Beautiful. I love that. And we can all do that right now. From now on, we can do that. Right. Yes. Yes, you can. Yeah. Because that extends out. What one person does affects another person affects another person. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, Janine, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your wisdom, for all of your amazing books and your work that you do. Thank you for sharing these nuggets with us. I really hope that everyone got something out of it and can implement them into their life today. We will link to everything in the show notes, all of your amazing work. But thank you so much for being here and the beautiful work that you do in the world. I'm so grateful I discovered your book many years ago. It was a big game changer for me. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks so much. I loved today's episode and I loved Janine and got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 163. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before I go is if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And when you're there, you can also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave your review right now. I would be so grateful. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. 
Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this particular episode, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.